Chapter Four of the Introduction of the Sikh Religion. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by K. Hand. The Sikh Religion: Its Gurus, Sacred Writings, and Authors by Max Arthur McAuliffe, Volume One, Chapter Four of the Introduction. A few brief paragraphs unburdened with detail on the origin and progress of religion until it received its monotheistic consummation accepted by Guru Nanak appear to be necessary. Statius, the Latin poet, expressed his opinion that it was fear which first made gods in the world. Miserable and resourceless primitive man felt the inclemency and fury of the elements and prayed and sacrificed to avert their wrath or to gain their favor. But as there were malignant, so there were benignant natural agencies which received devout and earnest worship. The sun, which gives light and heat, appears to have been worshipped by all primitive peoples. He was, however, distant and non-tangible. But when fire was discovered, long ages after man had appeared on the surface of the earth, it appears to have received the greatest homage from the human race in all parts of the globe. By its means, men warmed themselves, cooked their food, and smelted metals. It was to fire, Agni, the Indians of the Vedic period addressed some of their sublimest hymns, and its discovery and importance led the ancient Greeks to suppose that it must have been stolen from heaven, which had so long been parsimonious of its gifts. As civilization progressed and the fruits of agriculture were added to the spontaneous gifts of nature, the bounty of the heavens was deemed necessary for man's comfort and sustenance. It was then that the sky, under the various names of Deus, Zeus, Verina, or Ranus, was invoked, both in India and Greece, to shed its choicest blessings on crops and men. Other deities arose as prompted or required by human necessities. Prithvi, the earth, as the parent of sustenance, logically and necessarily received, as the spouse of the sky, divine honors both in India and Europe each deity addressed received all the homage and adoration that poetic fancy could lavish or imagine his worshippers endeavored to make him feel that he was the great god who ruled the world and controlled man in nature and they hoped that by judicious flattery and plenteous sacrifice he would listen to and grant their passionate supplications the gods as well as their votaries appear to have lived in friendly contiguity in both india and in greece Jupiter had his temple near that of Venus, as they are found today in the disentombed city of Pompeii. Near Delphi, Apollo had exclusive sway even to the extent of relegating Jupiter into a subordinate position. Each province selected in the wide domain of Olympus some deity which it worshipped to the exclusion of all others. In India, though, the worship of Shiv, which is associated with knowledge, is different from that of Vishnu, which is associated with devotion. And though the worshippers of both gods frequently quarrelled and addressed each other in injurious language, yet they were united by the common bond of Hinduism, and sometimes celebrated their worship in harmony. When man extended his horizon, the sufficiency and omnipotence of the gods ordinarily invoked began to be canvassed. In Greece, the minor deities became completely subordinated to Zeus, the great ruler of Olympus. They could do everything but relegate human fate in action that was reserved for the supreme deity alone upon apocthiplin theosi kiranin eleftheros gar utis esti plin dios in india 
a belief in an infinite illimitable and supreme power was gradually involved by seers and philosophers ages before the immigration of the aryans to europe prajapati who was represented as the father of the gods the lord of all living creatures gradually received exceptional human homage there was also aditi who appears under various guises being in one passage of the rig veda identified with all the deities with men with all that has been and shall be born and with air and heaven in this character she corresponded to the greek zeus zeus estenathir zeus de gi zeus de aranos zeus toita pantachotiton ipateron and to the latin jupiter iupiter es quoncunqui vidas quoncunqui movieris but there appears again to have been a more exalted concept of a divinity who was inexpressible and who could only be described by periphrasis he was bright and beautiful and great he was one though the poets called him by many names before there was anything before there was either death or immortality before there was any distinction between day and night there was that one it breathed breathless by itself other than it nothing has since been then was darkness everything in the beginning was hidden in gloom all was like the ocean without a light then that germ which was covered by the husk the one was produced guru nanak as we shall see gave expansion to this conception of the one god in the beginning there was indescribable darkness then was not earth or heaven naught but god's unequalled order then was not day or night or moon or sun god was meditating on the void then were not continents or hells or seven seas or rivers or flowing streams nor was there paradise or a tortoise or nether regions or the hell or heaven of the mohammedans or the destroyer death or the hell or heaven of the hindus or birth or death nor did anyone come or go then was not brahma vishnu or shiv no one existed but the one god then was not female or male or caste or birth nor did anyone feel pain or pleasure there was no caste or religious garb no brahmin or khatri no am no sacred feasts no places of pilgrimage to bathe in nor did anyone perform worship there was no love no service no shiv or energy of his then were not veds or mohammedan books no simritis no shastras the imperceptible god was himself the speaker and preacher himself unseen he was everything when he pleased he created the world without supports he sustained the sky he created brahma vishnu and shiv and extended the love of mammon he issued his order and watched over all for many centuries thinking men in india have rejected gods and goddesses and made no secret of their faith in the sole primal creator by whatsoever name called an important question arose how the supreme being should be represented he could not be seen but he was believed to exist the highest conception that primitive man could form of him was that he was in man's own image subject to the human passions of wrath jealousy revenge love of praise and adoration this conception is what has been termed anthropomorphism that is god is in man's image or conversely that god made man in his own image when man's conception of god extended and it was admitted that he had created the heavens and the earth and held control over his boundless creation it became difficult for the philosopher to imagine him in human form 
were he such it would appear to be a limitation of his omnipotence and omnipresence and moreover the belief that god is infinite and governs his infinite creation but at the same time is not included in it though possibly intelligible to faith is not equally so to reason to overcome this difficulty the belief arose that god is diffused through all matter and that it is therefore a part of him this belief is known as pantheism in india pantheism may be said to be the creed of the intellectual hindus but it cannot be held to be a generally satisfying or useful cult to the world when a man believes that he is a part of god and that god who pervades space pervades him also moral obligation must obviously be relaxed nor can supplications be satisfactorily addressed to nature with its elemental forces even though god be held to reside therein pantheism is too cold and too abstract to satisfy the reasonable aspirations of the human soul and the fact admitted by most philosophers that men are endowed with free will must make them pause before they accept the pantheistic philosophy in its entirety moreover to gratify his emotional instinct man must have access in spirit to a personal god to appeal to in order to grant him favors to afford him solace in affliction to love him as a son and as a kind and merciful friend to take an interest in him when he needs assistance according to the sikh gurus god was a being to be approached and loved as a fond and faithful wife loves her spouse and human beings were to be regarded with equality as brothers and not to be considered as divided into castes which were at variance with or despise one another but though the sikhs believe in a personal god he is not in man's image guru nanak calls him nirankar that is without form Gurdas speaks of him as formless, without equal, wonderful, and not perceptible by the senses. At the same time, all the gurus believed that he was diffused throughout creation. Guru Nanak wrote, Think upon the one who is contained in everything. This same belief was again enunciated by Guru Ram Das, Thou, O God, art in everything and in all places. And, according to Guru Gobind Singh, even God and his worshipper, though two, are one, as bubbles which arise in water are again blended with it. This belief, according to the Guru, omitted of no doubt or discussion. It is the error of men in supposing distinct existence, together with the human attributes of passion and spiritual blindness, which produces sin and evil in the world and renders the soul liable to transmigration. No religious teacher has succeeded in logically dissociating theism from pantheism. In some passages of the Guru's writings, pantheism is, as we have seen, distinctly implied, while in other texts matter is made distinct from the Creator, but an emanation from Him. Although anthropomorphic theism is a religion, while pantheism is a philosophy, and anthropomorphic theism is generally held orthodox and pantheism heterodox, yet on account of the difficulty of describing the omnipresent and illimitable in suitable human language both religion and philosophy are inextricably blended by sacred as well as profane writers let us take a few examples doth not the lord fill heaven and earth jeremiah god in whom we live and move and have our being saint paul spiritus intus alit totamque infusa por artus mens agitat molem et magno se corpore misect virgil esne die seds nisi terra et pontus et er et calum et virtus superos quid quirimus ultra iupiter est quadcunque vides quocunque movieras lucan 
all in all and all in every part cowley lives through all life extends through all extent spreads undivided operates unspent pope deum rerum ominum causam immanentem non vero transeuntem statuo spinoza se dio veder tu vuoi guardalo in ogni ugeto cercalo nel tu petto lo troverai in te metastasio an indefinite number of such examples might be cited End chapter four of the introduction